for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, listen, I have, I have uh, good news and I've got bad news. Mm. Have you ever used that technique to get somebody's attention? The good news, bad news thing? Well, well not long ago, I, I used that. Um, um, shortly, oh, actually a, a bit of time before we came to Denver, we were looking to see what God had for us next in ministry. The, the, the time and place where we were serving, we felt like it was, it was coming to a close, and, and so we began looking around. And we, we quickly became aware of, of this opportunity, this opening at a church, and it really seemed like it had almost everything that, that we needed. And so we began conversations and the, the process with the church actually started to move forward. There was some real interest on our part, and Pastor Bruce and I really started to have that, that connection. It was, we just really felt like this was it, except that there was, this one, there was this one thing about the church that was just very unsettling to both Cass and I, and it, it got so um, weighty for us, we finally said, you know, we're going to step away from this, and so we did, and we withdrew my name from consideration. Well, the, the, the position where I currently was actually came to an end. It means I didn't have a job anymore. And, <laughs> and so we said, okay, we've got to start looking at some options now with that. And so we revisited that option from early. I thought, I wonder if Pastor Bruce and the church still want you. Sure enough, I call him, and they were still in their search. So we, we put our name kind of back in the hat, resumed conversations, and it was really going along well except for that, that one thing that, that was still kind of... But we thought, well, well maybe, maybe this is really where God has us, and, and even that one thing, maybe it's true. So we, we proceeded along, and it got to the, to the point where they decided that I was one of three candidates. We were pretty excited about it, and they said, we're going to stop and pray for the next 10 days. And so we did the same thing. We stopped and prayed, and Finally, after that 10 days, the phone call came. Hey, Dean, this is Bruce. Hey, Bruce. You know, there's really no easy way to say this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we've, we've decided to move ahead with another candidate. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I hung up the phone and I took a deep breath. I turned to Cass and I said, well... I've got bad news, and I've got good news. First, the bad news. The bad news is they're not pursuing me. I'm not going to get the job. But the good news, the good news is we don't have to move to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. That was such, our boys even said, Mom and Dad, you moved to North Dakota. We are never visiting. So, so thanks be to God for his mercy is new every morning. Well, I don't know about you, but we like to, 
I think we're kind of in the pattern of most Americans. You know, a study was done in 2014 that surveyed, what do you like to hear first, the bad news or the good news? And us, I think most of us like to hear bad news first because we like to reserve the good news. We've got enough bad news. We've got to figure out, okay, blah, 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 blah. But the good news, we, we, like, we like to hear that first. Give me some hope. Save it good for last. So here we are in this fourth week of our study in the Old Testament book of Jonah. And Jonah really, in essence, is one of those bad news, good news stories. Jonah, by God's calling, was uh, asked to deliver some, well, actually some, some bad news, wasn't he? If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know the story, but I think it's helpful for us to recap. So in chapter 1, it begins, and God says to, to Jonah, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he said, Arise and go to Nineveh. You're doing great. The great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So here, God calls Jonah, a prophet, to go and deliver bad news to a very, 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 one more, very bad city, a bad people, uh, the Gentiles, the, the pagans, an excessively cruel enemy of Israel, the, the capital of Assyria, Nineveh. God's call could not have been harder. It was a suicide mission. Surely Jonah would die. And so Jonah does what any good prophet does. And he arose, and he went the other direction to get as far away from God as possible. In rebellion, he runs from God. Aaron reminded us that when you're running away from God in rebellion, you can always find a ship that'll take you there, right? And that's what happens in chapter 2. He boards a ship and he heads for Tarshish, some 2,500 miles away. In his mind, that's as far as they knew. That's as far as he could possibly get. And then a storm comes, and, and soon he ends up in this watery grave, the belly of this fish. The title of our series is Jonah, not just another fish story. And while some might get distracted with the absurdity of this fish story, we have been reminded that the intent of the story is not about the fish, but to be amazed and to stand in awe of God who has sovereign rule over everything, all of his creation, God's mastery over the winds and the rain and the minds and the actions of these sailors and the appetite and the obedience of this large fish who is probably at best uh, a pesca vegan, by the way, turning hearts of this most godless nation that we're going to see today. And even next week, he has control over plants and, and worms. <laughs> this story is not only not just another story about a fish. And it's not just another story about Jonah, the bearer of bad news. This story is about God. And that is what we'll see today, a God who brings the good news. Today we arrive at chapter 3, kind of the, not kind of, it is the apex of this incredible story. And we're going to see today the good news of God and his perfect, loving action. But before we do, I want to ask you to pray along with me this morning. 
Well, God, thank you for uh, stories that uh, move us through your story and show us your great, relentless love. And that's what happens today. We'll see that. And so we pray for your spirit to help us, to open our eyes, to help us see things that uh, words cannot describe, but only your spirit can move us toward. And so we pray that in the midst of all of this, you would help us uh, to see ourselves, but mostly that we would see Jesus and how you have loved us through him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, it would be great. You can turn to that and follow. It will be up on the screen as well. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. Well, it should sound familiar to us at this point. It's the same command that we just heard, the same command as chapter 1. Arise, go, and proclaim. This time we find Jonah having been swallowed by that great fish in its belly for three days, looking like a man that whatever happens to a man in the belly of a fish for three days, and he gets vomited out on to dry land. That's a nod to Aaron's junior high moments last week, by the way. Ends up, we presume, back along the Mediterranean shore, and it kind of sounds like that Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. Do you remember that? You know, he's, uh, the, the, I guess, a newscaster, or weatherman, I guess he is, on assignment to uh, Puxtahani, Puxtahani, Pennsylvania, for Groundhog Day. To, to, and every, at 6 o'clock every day, he wakes up again, and he's living Groundhog Day all over again until he gets it right, till he learns to enjoy life. To appreciate the little things. Well, it's not Groundhog Day, which, by the way, is Friday. No, this is God's mercy in action. It's interesting that he corrects Jonah's course, but he does not chastise him or punish him. God simply and graciously repeats the command. He says, arise, go, proclaim. Unlike how we might instinctively correct our kids when they disobey, God demonstrates nothing but mercy. God withheld from Jonah what he deserved. And he extended grace. He gave him much more than he deserved. And God's command remained the same. Jonah, you see, he had a, he had a, a very good reason from our perspective not to go. We've learned some about this capital city of the Assyrian Empire, the Ninevites, they were not only Gentiles, they were the military enemies of Israel, of God's people. They were known for their extreme brutality. They, in the mind of God's people, the Israelites, were as far from God as one could get. And God said, Jonah, go to them. Go to the worst of the worst. And Jonah, well, he wins the dirtiest job award. <laughs> he was a prophet. That's not a fun job. He wasn't a missionary. He was a prophet. Let me explain a little bit of the difference, and you'll see what we mean. A prophet in the Old Testament usually had a, a specific message. It was usually judgment. It was rarely pleasant and not specifically calling people to repent. He, the, the, the prophet bore bad news. 
That was his job. He was not a missionary like we would associate with the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, whose general message was usually repentance and salvation. It was hope-filled. It was always good news, but not a prophet. Jonah was a prophet, but it really gets worse. All of the other prophets in the Old Testament spoke to his own people. All of them spoke to their own people, charged Israel with the bad news, how they were disobeying God. But Jonah was unique. He was unique in that. He was the only prophet in the Old Testament who was told to go to the enemy, to go to the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? Not his own people, the bad ones. To Nineveh. And you're not liking your job? Tell you what, the dirtiest job. But God's message was the same as before, just like he would have told one going to Israel. Go, excuse me, arise, go, and proclaim. It was that simple. And this time, in chapter 3, the bad news bearer that's come on, <laughs> obeyed. <laughs> just keep you tracking Verse 3, and Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go in the city, going a day's journey, and he cried, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You can almost see When God says, Arise, go, and proclaim, as we work through this passage just a second, he didn't say, Hey, go over to the other side of the lake. Nineveh, well, remember Tarshish was 2,500 miles that direction. Well, it was no small hike to get to Nineveh either. It's 550 miles walking by camel, caravan. It was a dangerous journey for him. And, and the city, well, the people of Nineveh, the population were told later on in, in Jonah's 120,000, some 60 miles wide. And here we have that word again, the, the one that repeats many times through the book of Jonah. It was a great city. You remember great in the book of Jonah, great God, a great wind, a great fish, and now here, a great city. But not just great, it's qualified this time. An exceedingly great city. Hmm, that's different. It literally means a city that is great to God. Not, not that it's bigger than God can handle. In fact, it's, it's just the opposite. It literally means that Nineveh was God-sized and only God could meet its need. Only God could come in. It's an exceedingly great city. For us... Boy, we can translate that, can't we? There's no city, there's no people, there's no person that is beyond the merciful rescue of God. No city so far away beyond the reach of God's mercy. Great city, great sinners, but a great, great God. Do you have a Nineveh in your family, your friends? 
co-workers, neighbors, communities who seem to have shoulders that are just too cold or have erected walls that are too high or arguments that are too strong or hostility toward the faith that is just too vile. Maybe people in your circle of friends that have just given up on church and live lives of indifference. Just like you and me, they're just all God-sized problems. God never gives up, no matter how exceedingly great their hostility and offense toward Him. He relentlessly pursues them. Jonah is a story about this great God who relentlessly pursues those He loves. So after a month or so of travel, Jonah arrives and he begins his prophetic tour of duty, if you will. Scripture says he went into the city a day's journey. Now you've got to wonder what's going on in his mind. Could we assume that the sermon had already been written during that month-long trip? It, it could have been that he needed a, kind of that day's journey to, to muster up some courage or checking resources or looking for some illustrations, some, some, some clever pictures, because this is going to really be good. But this is the word that the Lord eventually gave him. We're only told that it's five words. All right, Nineveh, you ready for it? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In Hebrew, the message again, is only five words long. Should we take a cue from that? Five words? I'm just wondering. Wouldn't it have been safer maybe for, for Jonah to, to find a local church and, and put the message out on the church sign like, like we commonly do? Here's one. <laughs> get right or get left. <laughs> Nineveh. <laughs> How about this one? Do you know what hell is? Come and hear our preacher. <laughs> So I was looking for a job one time. So <laughs> uh, I love this, this one. Maybe this is what we're more accustomed to, the turn or burn. That's, uh, maybe this is what Jonah did out front. All kinds of attempts. Well, that's it. <laughs> the bad news bearer had five words, and he had to be bracing for the worse. And then verse 5. <laughs> it's not what he expected. Nineveh believes the people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast, and they, they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And if you're following along in Scripture, verses 6 through 9 basically list those greatest to the least. We've got the king of Nineveh, then he lists the nobles, then he lists common man. Oh, let's put the beasts in there too, and let's make sure everybody gets everything cleaned up. And maybe then in verse 9, maybe... If everyone turns from their evil way, maybe, who knows, this God, this God of Jonah might repent and turn from his fierce anger and we perish not. Just maybe. Well, there's a lot we can unpack with those verses. But this morning, I, I want to make two observations about Jonah's, about Jonah's obedience and Nineveh's belief. I think it'll bring encouragement to you this morning. And the first observation is this. When we obey God, 
we can trust His purposes even when they are beyond what we can see. Let me say it again. When we obey God, we can trust His purposes and when, even when they are beyond what we can see. As we're reading this story, we get to this point, and if we're paying attention, we feel like we've kind of missed something, right? Jonah's words that they're going to be destroyed in 40 days, and then this pagan culture, followers of many, many, many gods whom they could have called upon, turns and believes in Jonah's God? Once again, like most of the players in this story, this is not how we or Jonah expected them to respond. Remember, Jonah was an Israelite. He was the enemy too. They were supposed to turn on him, at at best reject him. So there was no reason for, for them, from Jonah's perspective or ours, for them to respond in belief. However, can, can we believe that God who sovereignly rules over all of creation, could have been working in the lives of the Ninevites all along the way? Perhaps he'd gone before Jonah and gotten their attention with famines and and plagues and natural disasters and, and signs from heaven and wars within and wars without and political divisions and Democrats and Republicans, all which history actually, except for the Democrats and Republicans, all which history records to have been going on in the city of Nineveh. And now they believe? Jonah was kind of questioning what God was doing, wasn't he? Because it didn't make any sense. Have you ever asked your children to obey you and they say, why? And you say, Trust me, right? Has God ever asked you to to arise, go, and proclaim? You go, why? (laughs) He says, trust me. Why? Because he knows. He's been working. He he says in, in Isaiah, he tells the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, when we obey God, we can trust His purposes even when they are beyond what we can see. The second observation is this, and it might seem obvious to us, but I'd love to highlight it for us this morning, that salvation belongs to the Lord, accent intended. What do I mean? Jonah couldn't save the Ninevites, good news or bad news. That's not his job. And we don't want to miss this because the work of salvation is God's work. It's not Jonah's. It's not yours. It's not mine. And this should be a familiar truth to Jonah. He's already stated it. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 9, some think that this is the centerpiece of the book of Jonah. Some even say this is the centerpiece of all of Scripture, the truth that salvation belongs 
to the Lord. Say that with me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is always the work of God through His Spirit. Only God can revive that which is dead. Only God can rescue. And that's the theme of Jonah. It's the theme of God's big story. The psalmist declares it, Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Psalm 62.1, my soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. As the story of the Bible, the story of God's rescue of the world concludes in the book, the last book of the, of the Bible in Revelation, John says, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, God used Jonah as part of his plan. He uses you and he uses me as part of his plan. He uses our strengths. He uses our gifts. He uses our position and our station in life to be the presence of God in the world. His work for us, however, is to simply trust Him and obey Him and letting Him do what He does, and that is bring salvation to those whom He loves. Earlier, did you identify a Nineveh in your life? Someone far from God, someone seemingly beyond reach, that difficult coworker, that challenging neighbor, the son or daughter? I don't know what role God is calling you and I to play in the li- these lives of our friends. He may have already challenged you and said, arise, go, and, and proclaim but you're kind of either frozen in place or you're fleeing like, like Jonah. Or maybe you've gone one step further and you said, I think I'll just keep working at it. I think I can save them. It's not your job. It's not yours to carry. Ours is simply to arise and to go and to proclaim. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and His call to us today is to trust Him because his pursuit of those he loves is, is relentless. And he will surely do it. Well, in verse 10, the final verse of this, this chapter, we see evidence that, that God relentlessly pursued the Ninevites. For when God saw what they did, he turned, excuse me, how they turned from their evil way. God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. It's as, though, it's as though God caught them with his arms of grace and love as they turned toward him. God is there with mercy. He withholds their deserved destruction because of his great love for them. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You can, you can see it in his hands, can't you? You see, Jonah is a story about a great God who relentlessly pursues those he loves. And the pursuit continues. About 750 years after Jonah, God sent another messenger to a rebellious people. Someone greater than Jonah, he sent his son, Jesus. And one writer says it this way, 
God sent Jonah into the worst neighborhood with bad news to demonstrate God's greatness. God sent his son into our worst neighborhood with good news to demonstrate that he is greater still. So where does that find us this morning? Do we see ourselves in the person of Jonah as a follower of Jesus? Has he asked you to go, arise and go, proclaim, to be the presence of Christ in the world, in your Nineveh? Perhaps you're feeling reluctant. Perhaps you've run. Perhaps the call doesn't make any sense. Or perhaps we're just trying to do God's job and we need to let go. Or maybe some of us today are feeling more like the Ninevites. Our world is falling apart around us. We've tried all the other gods and they're failing us. We're beginning to suspect that God might be pursuing us. We see glimpses of his love and his mercy, his grace. And you're here today. It's interesting. Whether you're like Jonah or you're like a Ninevite, the response for both is exactly the same. And that is this. Turn and trust him. It's that simple. Let's pray together.